Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California, now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. The land of the champagne climate. They used to put that on the real estate brochures where I lived for a while out by Phelan and Pinion Hills. The Cajon Pass side of the high desert. Well, where David Hockney took a couple hundred clear striking photographs of a crossroads at the 138 or Pear Blossom Highway, like the finished artwork is called. More than 800 photographs, say the experts. I've never counted them all myself. Although I have seen the real thing. I think it was at the Getty in Los Angeles a long time ago, but for... Reasons I've never been able to find out. David Hockney's most famous and beloved work, along with a couple of those swimming pool paintings, is not displayed there at the Getty anymore, at the museum in the city where everybody is nuts for Joshua Trees. Hasn't been out for years. And these are two of probably the most famous photo collages on Earth. Two variations with jarring differences. The second version of Pear Blossom Highway, 11-18 April 1986, has a serenity to it. The sky is radiating a welcoming blue. There's a little bit of trash on the road, not much. There's an empty Bud Light carton. And a couple of long neck bottles and an empty quart of motor oil. But the Joshua trees look healthy and the road is wide open. Then there's number one, the aspect narrowed from the widescreen splendor of the other. The sky is now gray and menacing, the prints layered heavy over one another like you see in a microscopic view of an insect's armor. The stop-ahead sign is mutated to the point of dangerous confusion. With the other road signs in a tight jumble right behind it. And the Joshua trees look to be dying. 
chopped up into strange conditions and dangerous sections. The photos with very different lighting that you get when churning gray-blue clouds roll through the way the shafts of yellow sunlight pierce the gloom. The wind comes out of nowhere, out of nothing. Suddenly the garbage cans are rolling down the road. Semi-trucks have their fog lights on. You look around and have the strange suspicion that everybody around you is a criminal of one kind or another. That highway patrolman in the black and white who guiltily looks away when you catch his eye. Stubbornly going exactly your speed during this last mile of passing lane. And everywhere on the desert plain, the ghost of the pronghorn antelope who once roamed here in great numbers with a great innocence here in the Antelope Valley two personalities of one entity I think these two versions of Hockney's Pear Blossom Highway Collage Let's see if we can encourage the Getty to get this out there again, get it out of storage, maybe do a high desert arts exhibit. Get all the big names in there, Lily Stockman, Dan Sullivan, Jack Pearson, etc., etc., Narrated by Desert Oracle Radio. On those little headphone sets, they loan you at the museum entrance. What is a champagne climate, anyway? I asked around and feeling, and nobody knew. I asked around in Pinion Hills, nobody had a clue. figured it must have something to do with the fact that the Mojave High Desert does have some seasonal variations compared to the other side of the hill, the other side of the transverse ranges. Let's see, there's a bitterly cold, occasionally snowy winter season. And then there's two nice weeks, which we call spring. 
minimum in eight or nine months of sunblasted oven temperatures. Three seasons, according to the weather experts. That's the usual. And then you get that every ten years lingering springtime like we got this year. And these are the times when you say... You know what? I think I could live here. I don't even care about the scorpions and the Mojave rattlesnakes with two kinds of venom in every bite. And the wind ripping off my roof every 18 months and the way the fence collects all the Walmart bags that time cannot decay right there for you to enjoy when you arrive home. I just love it here. And a real estate agent is usually egging you on at this point, keeps refilling your wine glass with champagne. This is Desert Oracle Radio broadcasting from Joshua Tree. With soundscapes by Red, Blue, Black, Silver. weekend I was wandering around our desert mountains thinking about the times at hand being overwhelmed by indifference etc thinking about the diminishing value of words how the mere length of a block of text is often enough to dismiss it entirely out of hand I'm not Reading all that. Arguments never work except to exhaust the other person to the point where they are looking up the waiting period on gun purchases again. Which is why the people who are wrong always want to argue about it. The point is to wear you out. And the arguer always believes that means they've won, when in actuality they've simply earned a place in the list of people to ignore forever. You see it sometimes, like with elderly married couples at the RV park. One person just will not shut up. The other person doesn't say a word. Who won? Nobody, of course, but at least the quiet person has retained a shred of human dignity in a public place. And I started thinking about the way we used 
used to settle things out here, which was with a six-gun. Here to do some business with a big iron on his hip. And it's sort of that way now in America. Today, you just have to assume that anybody making trouble is armed and dangerous. Anything might set them off. They don't like your bumper sticker. They don't like the words on your t-shirt. But we've lost the ceremony, the ritual elements. One person stands on this end, the other person stands over here. It's a duel. Like our great vice president, whoever, from the Hamilton musical. No more talking on the cable news because you took care of it in a duel. History does not repeat, but it does echo. It echoes like the gunfire in a good old-fashioned duel. So for days, I was pulling books off the shelves and reading about gunfights and duels and digging up these old newspaper stories, wondering why this was on my mind. In the middle of this week, I figured it out. It was in the air. Two of the worst people around, absolute cartoon villains, decided in public on Twitter, I believe, to have a cage fight in Las Vegas. To the death, I imagine. There's the Tesla guy, the guy who made electric cars uncool in one year, and the Facebook demon. And this is how things will go in the wild times to come. Horrible people on social media will challenge each other to duels in public and begin killing each other and of course everybody wants to watch that no script writers needed Cheez-Its will sponsor it or Red Bull or TurboTax one of those terrible brands of course it will be more vulgar more horrific than any old west gunfight Because the gimmick is going to be people killing each other with their own hands. Celebrities, business rivals. A lot of people in Congress will be doing this. well-known people who don't have to work too much spend a lot of their time training, often for years, with ex-Navy SEALs and all these other ninja warrior types who get 
10 million people watching their video game streaming sessions or whatever. I guess I don't know why these people are famous, but I see their names show up. You look at the news and it's like a police blotter. YouTuber jailed forever in Transylvania for running sex slave farms, that kind of stuff. Some weird dweeb in a flop superhero movie sentenced for strangling a girl in Iceland, modern celebrities. So I went back to my collection of gunfight stories from the last century, from here and there. Let me share a couple of these with you. Just some highlights. From the Arizona newspaper, September 23rd of 1932. Killing of Gila Rancher held justified by a coroner's jury. Globe, Arizona, September 22. Dick Robinson, cowpuncher, was at liberty tonight, having been exonerated of blame today for the killing of his former employer, Z. Hayes, a widely known cattleman, during a bunkhouse duel at the Circle 7 Ranch. The coroner's jury declared Hayes came to his death as the result of gunshot wounds at the hands of Dick Robinson and said the killing, quote, under the circumstances was excusable and justifiable under the law. County Attorney Roland W. Hill said there is no evidence for prosecution. And insomuch as the coroner does not see fit to issue a warrant, we can do no more. The two engaged in a gunfight yesterday morning when Robinson said Hayes entered his bunkhouse and opened fire after renewing a quarrel started the day before. Two gunshot wounds were found in Hayes' body. One was through the heart. Arnold Johnson, a cowboy sleeping in a bunk close to Robinson's, testified at the inquest. He said he was awakened by the shots to see Hayes standing over Robinson's bunk, firing into it. The whole argument was over... Hayes wanting Robinson to open a gate for him on the ranch and Robinson continuing with the job he was currently doing. It's another reason to never work for anybody. This one was from the Douglas, Oklahoma Daily Dispatch back in December of 1926, December 12. Woman kills man in revolver duel upon Perry, Oklahoma Street. There we go. 
woman's aim was the more deadly, and Bill Dearborn, 59, was dead tonight as the result of a gunfight on the main street this afternoon with Mrs. Ellis Hobbs, 30. They used to do that in newspapers. Women didn't have their own names if they were married. Mrs. Hobbs, who walked to the courthouse and surrendered to the sheriff immediately after the shooting, would make no statement. Bystanders, however, said a loud argument preceded the shooting. Dearborn is survived by a widow and two children. Mr. and Mrs. Hobbs have no children. It was said by acquaintances that the two families had been intimate. The duel was fought around Dearborn's automobile, which was parked on the street. Witnesses said Mrs. Hobbs produced a pistol and started shooting after ignoring Dearborn's demands that she enter the car. Dearborn took an automatic pistol from his car and emerging from the opposite side opened fire. Two bullets passed through the woman's coat. One going through a pocket and puncturing her powder puff. But neither struck her. Mrs. Hobbs' third shot struck Dearborn above the heart and he died almost instantly. The widow Dearborn, questioned by reporters, said, eh, what are you going to do? Here's one from August 1940. Woman dies in gunfight, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Out of the muddled aftermath of a gun battle in which a woman was slain and two men wounded, officers pieced together a crime story reminiscent of Pretty Boy Floyd's day. You know, pretty boy Floyd, gather round, children, a story I will tell of pretty boy Floyd, the outlaw, Oklahoma, knew him well. The body of red-haired Jean Goffey, 30 years old, widow of an ex-convict killed in a pistol duel three years previous, lay in an oilton morgue as authorities sought to determine whether she died at the hands of police or her gunmen companions. She was tossed from a speeding sedan in downtown oilton last night after a gunfight in which Ben D. Clark, police chief, and one of Mrs. Coffey's fugitive friends, Bill Hall, 25, were badly wounded. Hall, who escaped from the Oklahoma State Prison, and Joe Lovelace, 24, a fugitive from a Nebraska State Prison farm, later kidnapped a farmer and drove on to Perkins, Oklahoma, where they were captured by two highway patrolmen. 
C.L. Irwin, constable who was with Clark when the officers shot it out at close range with the gunmen, they expressed belief that the woman was slain accidentally in the furious exchange. Her body was torn by a blast from a shotgun carried by the fugitives, Irwin said. The exchange resulted from an attempt by Clark and Irwin to question the gunmen about a robbery earlier in the day. John Boyd and J.R. Butler, highway patrolmen, captured Hall and Lovelace after putting two more bullets into Hall's body and shooting Bill Glimp, a drumright farmer kidnapped by the gunmen. Bill Hall, who was recovering despite his many wounds, said, They killed her. She was the only thing I ever loved, but I got one of them. from the hospital bed. They're so pure. From Amboy to Zizek's and across the great Mojave wilderness and beyond, you have been listening to Desert Oracle Radio with moody desert soundscapes by our own red, blue, black, silver... And I'm your host, Ken Lane. We are on the air Friday nights at 10 p.m. KCDZ 107.7 on your FM dial in the Mojave High Desert and beyond. And on 13, I believe we're at Lucky 13. Other community radio stations. You can find our Desert Oracle periodical all over the high desert. And I recently learned that the interesting hardware store, grocery store, deli, camping supply place in the Lucerne Valley has our Desert Oracle Volume 1 paperback book. 33 chapters of American Desert Mysteries and history and... Weird artists, animals, landscapes, death in the afternoon, and other times. Looks like they've got a lot of other useful desert books, too, so stop by if you're going camping in the area or doing a road trip on that side of the Mojave. Our website is DesertOracle.com. Click Desert Oracle Radio to read our weekly blog regarding this broadcast and other subjects. And you can subscribe to our print periodical, Desert Oracle, the pocket-sized magazine all about the strange American deserts. The weather forecasters say it's about to get hot, so... Enjoy these cool nights while you still can. Thanks for listening, and good night from the Voice of the Desert.